0: It is good to see everyone. Again, let me add my word of welcome. Um, If you are a visitor, as you leave today, on the table to your right is uh, some resources about who we are and about, most importantly, what we're all about, which is Jesus and the gospel is death and resurrection. There is a Bible on that table. So if you're a first-time visitor, as you leave today, stop by that that table on the right. There's a red Bible, and you're going to pick it up and go, this is really nice. That's for you. That's just a gift for you. We're glad that you're here. We want you to leave with something tangible that communicates to you God's love for you and, and our love for you as well. Um, I, I do want to take a moment uh, and, and hopefully celebrate the accomplishments of some young people. Some of you remember that when I first came to Calvary um, back in September, I announced that we were going to be doing something for young people that if they did 10 bulletins, they would get a $25 gift card because we want young people in the service, and paying attention because young people aren't a distraction from worship. They're a part of worship. They're a part of our family. Um, and so I've, I've had two young people that I know of complete all the bulletins. And I want you to know I really struggled with where should I get the gift card to? Baskin Robbins, Chick-fil-A, or Sonic. And I really agonized this morning at the Vons. Where should I get the gift card? And I decided on Visa gift cards. So, you can just use it anywhere. And so, as I call these names of these young ladies, as they come forward, would you just applaud for them? We'll do it one at a time. First, Crystal Gonzalez. Crystal, come on up. And then, I don't know, is Allison here? I don't see Allison. Not yet. She'll be here. Okay. Well, we'll maybe be able to get that in at the end. But we're so proud of these young ladies. And uh, if you know anyone in your life that's younger and you think, I've always wanted to invite them to church, but I don't know what they do. Bring them and have them sit and they can pay attention and learn. And God will use uh, things to speak to them. So let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We are finishing up today our study in the book of 2 Timothy. And then after the sermon, we will uh, partake in the Lord's Supper, which we do, uh, if you're wondering, how often do we do that? The first Sunday of every month. So we will uh, participate in that together. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, follow along with me as I read in your copy of God's Word. And then let me encourage you to leave your Bibles open so you can kind of follow along and hopefully as you came in, you're able to grab a bulletin. Uh, this is my sermon outline. This will give you a sense of where we're going. Second Timothy chapter 4. God's word says I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom preach the word be ready in season and out of season reprove rebuke, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but will have but but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded, enduring, suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come... Bring the cloak that I left at Carp- with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposes our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed And all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from all evil deeds, from all evil deed, and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you. So do Putins and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, we cherish these words, we treasure them because they are your words. And so, Lord, give me clarity of speech, give me clarity of thought. Help me, Lord, to present winsomely and faithfully the message that I believe by your spirit you've led me to prepare in my studies of this text. But God, it will be for naught if you don't empower your people by your spirit to hear and with hearts to receive and believe, and Lord, that you would strengthen us all to obey. God, if left to our own devices, we would check out and we would rebel. But Lord, by your spirit, we're drawn and we're kept and we're preserved and we're strengthened. So do your work, God. We rely upon you to be mighty and sovereign in our midst. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Well, what we have this morning is really a kind of serious, personal message. If you noticed in your bulletin, the title of the sermon, it's personal. Have you ever had somebody do something and say, it's not personal? And you go, it kind of feels personal, feels personal. Well, as you read this passage, you're supposed to think this is serious And it is also personal. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy, his young friend, and really is sort of a child in the faith. And this is what we believe Paul's last letter to Timothy. And this is the final chapter of that last letter. So just imagine you were writing a letter to someone you loved, and you knew that this would be probably your last communication to that person. It would be serious, and it would be personal. And we see that it's serious because Paul expects to die. Look at verse 6. Paul says, you just sort of point blank, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So Paul is facing death. He's writing to Timothy, whom he loves. It's serious, and it's personal. And these are loving words. They're serious words. Paul issues at the very beginning of our passage a charge to Timothy look at verse 1 Paul says I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom so Paul facing death writing to Timothy whom he loves says listen I charge you he, he gives a charge he gives a command to Timothy whom he loves now, contrast this with our world. We live in a world where it's kind of cool not to care. You know, sarcasm is cool. Irony is cool. Sort of deadpan humor is cool. I mean, it's pretty popular nowadays to kind of not know whether someone's serious or whether they're joking. Have you ever been around somebody and you kind of go, I, don't, I can't tell. Are you, are you being serious or are you joking? I don't know how to take you right now. And that's the whole point. Paul doesn't want any ambiguity, he wants clarity. He is being personal, and he is being serious, and based on all his affections, he is giving Timothy a charge. And his desire for Timothy is against a certain context, or a certain backdrop, if you will. It's the backdrop of Paul's own personal victories and his own personal accomplishments. So before Paul tells Timothy, before we look at what Paul tells Timothy, what he wants Timothy to do, we have to understand that Paul is sort of putting it against the backdrop of his own experiences. So first of all, we would say that at the end of his life, Paul is reminding Timothy that God has enabled him, Paul, to finish strong. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also to all those who love his appearing. Now it's important to notice here that Paul several times mentions that Jesus is the judge. He mentioned it in verse 1. He mentions it there in verse 8. And the emphasis here at the end of Paul's life is that Paul is not relying on his own self-assessment. Paul's not saying, you know, I feel pretty good about myself. And Paul's also not relying on Timothy's assessment, or Demas' assessment, or Alexander's assessment, or Luke's assessment. Paul is not relying on earthly assessment because he knows that doesn't matter in the end. Paul is saying what matters is what God, the judge, thinks about me. Paul says something very similar to the church at Corinth. He says, it really doesn't matter what I think of myself, and it quite frankly doesn't matter what you think of me. What matters is what God thinks of me and how my life stacks up according to his word. But at the end of his life, Paul is able to say, I'm finishing strong, and he says, Timothy, I want you to finish strong. This is important for us. There's immediate application here. What will matter most at the end of your life, and of course the trick about life is we never know how close we are to the end. Sobering words. We don't really know how close we are to the end of our life, but when we come to the end of our life, what will matter most is our relationship with Jesus. Not how many trophies we got, not how much money we've accumulated, not how many followers we have, not how many attaboys we've heard, What will matter is how our life measures up to the call of Christ to look to Him, to follow Him, and to trust Him. And so the beautiful thing about Scripture is that no matter where you're at in life, it's never too early to start to finish well. I mean, whether you've got one more day to live, or one more year to live, or a Another 50 years to live. Today is the day that God is saying, look, focus on finishing. Well, wow, that's what Paul wants for Timothy. Paul says, look, I'm an old man. I'm about to die. I know that. You know that. But don't worry, Timothy, because I'm going to die well because I finished the race. Paul is, Paul is grateful to God for God's work in his life And not everyone finishes well. Not everybody stayed the course. So as Paul is saying, I've finished well, in this same chapter, he mentions some people that haven't finished well. So we don't want to think it's automatic that we'll finish well. We don't want to think it'll just happen by accident or osmosis that we'll just sort of finish our lives faithfully in devotion to Jesus. That's not true. Look at verse 10. Paul says there's this guy named Demas and he says Demas in love with the present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now if Paul would have just said he went to Thessalonica we might think well maybe it was a ministry disagreement maybe Demas is really a good guy just sort of charted a different course but Paul specifically says Demas loved this present world and we saw in chapter 3 that there are things we shouldn't love. There are wrong loves. And the three long wrong loves that Paul mentions in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy is the love of the flesh, the love of the world, and the love of the love of self, the love of pleasure, and the love the love of money, the love of the world, and the love of self. And so Paul says Demas loved the world. Look at verses 14 and 15. Again, 2 Timothy 4. Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him, for for he strongly opposed our message. So Paul says, Demas deserted me. Alexander did me harm. Paul was wronged. Now let me just emphasize this. Paul was wronged. Paul was hurt. Paul was a victim. Do you get that? But Paul did not let his wrongs and his hurts and his experiences become an excuse for not following Jesus. Paul is not writing this chapter going, Woe is me, I haven't followed Jesus, but after all, I've been wronged, I've been hurt, and I've got good reason to just kind of do bad things. No, Paul says, I have been wronged, I have been hurt, I have suffered, I have been in a way abused. But he says, I'm finishing the race strong. Paul wasn't filled with bitterness or envy, wasn't filled with anger. To the contrary, he's filled with grace and forgiveness. Why? Because if you really understand the gospel that a righteous God has forgiven you of your sins, then you understand why Jesus calls upon us to love our enemies and to forgive others as many times even as they ask. Notice what Paul says in verse 16. He says, um, no, I'm sorry, verse 17. He said, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear so I might be rescued from the lion's mouth. Paul says, all these people have abandoned me, but what we often do in our sinfulness is we use the abandonment of others, the hurt of others, to aim our blame at God. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul says, these people abandoned me, they hurt me, they caused me to suffer. But then he says, but God stood by me. And no matter how much he's been wronged, he says in verse 16 about those who have wronged him, may it not be charged against them. So we see Paul finishing well, filled with an understanding of God's grace, filled with an understanding of God's mercy, filled with forgiveness. And no matter how much he's been hurt or wronged, he knows that the Lord has stood by him. And let me just remind you this morning, no matter how you've been wronged, no matter how you've been hurt, no matter how you've been mistreated, God has stood by you. God has been faithful. God has not abandoned you. God loves you. And we know God loves you because of who Jesus is and what he has done And Paul wasn't just alone in the world. It's not like it was just Paul and and God. No, look at who mentions. He mentions Luke in verse 11. Then he mentions Aquila and Priscilla and Esiphorus, Erastus, Trophimus, Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, Claudia. So in other words, Paul is reminding Timothy, in this life, you will suffer and you will be discouraged and you will be abandoned and you will be wronged. But don't become bitter Be thankful God is with you and God has not left you alone. God will bring people around you to be there for you in your time of need. At work, there will be some other Christian who comes alongside you. In school, there will be some other young person who comes alongside you. I remember my first semester of college, a brand new believer thinking, how am I going to follow God in this public university, in this dorm room, and you know, dorm rooms are just filled with every opportunity to sin, and I walked up the stairs my maybe first or second day of school, and to my right was sitting in the hallway a guy reading his Bible, and he became my best friend in college. God will bring people along in all the places, in the hospital rooms, in the hardest places you'll go. Paul says, look, Timothy, I'm finishing strong, but it's not by my strength. God has stood by me. God has strengthened me. Yes, I've been wronged, but I'm not bitter, and neither should you be. So as Paul writes to Timothy, he's not there just to sort of pound his chest and say, you know, look look what's gone on my life. Paul's main goal is to charge Timothy to faithfulness and ultimately to finish well. So there are four things that Paul emphasizes which are there in your bulletin. I want to look at these. Number one, stay sober. Number two, endure suffering. Number three, do your job. Number four, love his appearing. So these are all, if you look at verse five in 2 Timothy 4, these are all kind of laid out right there. Notice where Paul says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I think that Paul is sort of encapsulating everything he has to say in the chapter into this one verse. And so I want to take these one by one. First, stay sober. Stay sober. Now, you might be thinking, I'm, I didn't know sobriety was a problem for me. I, I don't know how this applies to me. Well, when we think about sobriety, we usually think about substance abuse and, uh, and, and people that are trying to stay away from substances. But the word that Paul uses is probably translated in your Bible as sober-minded. Paul's talking about being sober minded. Sobriety here, Paul's referring to the lies of the world, the myths of the world, the illusions of the world. And he is saying to Timothy, Timothy, if you want to finish well, you have to be free of lies, free of illusions, free of myths. You can't cling to what is false. You've got to cling to what is true, Timothy. And so this applies to us because, of course, our culture is intoxicated with lies and with myths and with illusions that ruin lives. We hear it every day, don't we? Whatever makes you happy is good. Whatever feels good is good. Those are lies. The lie that truth is relative. The the lie that God's word doesn't apply. That's an old book and these are modern days. That book doesn't just close. It doesn't really have much to say. That's a lie. That's an illusion. That's a myth. The lie that God doesn't exist at all. Or if he does exist, he really just wants you to be happy. Or, you know, God's just really here as a genie to fulfill your wishes. Or or maybe the myth that God doesn't exist and we're just accidents of randomness. And, And this world we live in, although it appears to be created and designed, is really just a big spontaneously combusted coincidence. Paul says, don't believe the lies. Stay sober. Clear your mind of illusions. So how do we combat lies? I mean, if we live in a culture of lies, if our enemy Satan is the father of lies, and quite frankly, if we're honest, we've got a pretty big capacity for lying to ourselves. How do we combat the lies in order to finish strong? Well, the answer is, of course, we do it with Scripture. Scripture is the sword that cuts through the lies. This is why Paul says to Timothy in verse 2, your job is to preach The word. Look at verse 2 with me. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Scripture keeps us from believing the lies, Scripture keeps us from being stuck in myths and illusions, or even becoming our own false teacher and telling ourselves lies. So Paul says to Timothy, who's a pastor, to preach the word in season. Out of season there are times in human history when preaching the world is popular, and most of the time it's not very popular. And Paul is saying whether it's popular or not popular, your job is to preach the word, not to preach what people want to hear, but to preach what people need to hear. And you might think, well, that's important for us, because this church is in the process of looking for its next pastor, and the primary job of the next pastor is to point you to the word, to preach the word to counsel the Word, to encourage with the Word, to correct with the Word. Well, what does that have to do with you? Well, that's his job description, but implied in this is your job description. Because if his job is to preach the Word, your job is to be teachable. If his job is to correct with the Word, your job is to be humble enough to receive correction. You see, this whole business of preaching the Word only works If the pastor who's preaching the word is preaching it to people who are submitting themselves to the word. And so Paul says, preach the word. That's the job of a pastor. And for all of us, it means that scripture guides us away from lies. Scripture guides us away from the lies our culture tells us and even the ones we tell ourselves. And so the idea here is that we bring all of our thoughts captive to the obedience of Scripture, and we say, God, I'm going to surrender what I think to what you think. And Paul says that is a recipe for finishing well. Be sober. Number two, endure suffering. Endure suffering. Suffering will come. Paul says this in chapter 3, verse 1, in the last days, difficult times will come. And he says it here in verses 3 and 4, for the time is coming... When people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, if you've been here for our sermon series through 2 Timothy, you know that this is a recurring theme in 2 Timothy. Times of difficulty will come. Times of suffering will come. And we might be tempted to think, I've heard that. But Paul repeats it because we need to hear it more than just once. You know, if you're a parent, you've had the experience of saying something multiple times to your kids. Don't forget to clean your room. Don't forget to clean your room. And at some point, your kid in exasperation says, I know, I heard you. And you go, I know, but you need to hear it multiple times. Because you know as a parent, one ain't enough. Well, Paul is loving the church. And he's saying, listen, let me just in these final words repeat this one more time. You will have to suffer. You will have to suffer difficult times. For Timothy, his suffering was in ministry. People didn't want to hear the word. They didn't want to hear the word. They, they turned away. They chose teachers that would accommodate their itching ears. I, what is that, itching ears? Is that some kind of condition, some kind of weird condition? No, it's sort of a metaphor. It just means that people get tired of this They hear this and they get bored with this and so they go to this and then they get bored of that and they go to this. And Paul's saying, don't ever be bored with God's word. Be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Stick with the word of God. As I say, oftentimes in life, what we want and what we need are two different things. And we all have that friend in our life that if we call them, they'll tell us whatever we want to hear. But then hopefully we have that friend who will tell us, according to God's word, what we need to hear. And the Bible says, this is the friend that really loves us. And so the trick to Christian friendship is that we lovingly encourage each other with the truth. And the truth is what enables us to endure suffering, endure hardship. Years ago, my pastor, when I was in school in Texas... He, um, when his son was 18, he got in a, a terrible car accident and become. Uh, he went into what they call a minimally conscious state, and he remains in that state today. And my friend and his wife care for their son, who's now, I suppose, in his early 30s. And I invited that pastor to come to the church I was leading in San Francisco about a year after the accident, and I said, I want you to preach on anything you want to preach on after what you've been through. Just share what you've learned. And he preached a sermon called Theology Will Get You Through Suffering. Theology will get you through suffering. What you believe about God is what will get you through suffering. What you believe about the word will get you through suffering. What you believe about the gospel, what is the good news? What is your hope? How do you receive forgiveness? What is life about? These things are not abstract, friends. They matter in hospital rooms when you're sitting next to a loved one on a breathing machine. So Paul says, if you want to end well, you're going to have to endure suffering. And that means clinging to the word. Number three, Paul says, do your job. Do your job. In verse five, he says, do the work of an evangelist. And Timothy had the job to do. He had a job to do. He was a he was a minister. His job was to preach the word and counsel and disciple. That was his job. And Paul says, listen, people are going to leave you. People are going to abandon you. But what Paul is saying is don't be distracted. You know, have you ever heard the phrase rubbernecking? We know this because we live in Southern California. You know, the, the traffic's bad. And you go, well, why is the traffic bad? And there's like a tiny accident on the side of the road, but everybody's doing this. Of course, nowadays, if somebody's going slow, you drive by them. Why is they're going so slow? And you can tell they're doing this. Paul is saying, don't be distracted. Listen, God has given you a call to believe in him. God has given you his word to follow. God has given you a job. And if you become distracted with what's what Twitter's doing and what DC is doing and what Brussels is doing and what all your friends are doing, you are going to be miserable and you are going to be distracted and you're not going to be successful at the things that God has actually called you to do. God has never called you to save the world's problems, solve the world's problems. God has called you to do your job. And so what Paul is saying to Timothy is don't be distracted. Focus on what Christ has called you to do. If you're a dad, focus on being a godly dad. And if you're a mom, focus on being a godly mom. And if you're an employee, focus on doing your job with excellence to the glory of God. Paul says, Timothy, listen, if you want to finish well, you can't be distracted. you got to know what God has called you to do and to put your energy into what God has called you to do, not being distracted by all the other people that aren't doing what they're supposed to do because that will make you miserable. But this will make you joyful. This will make you joyful. Do your job. Number four, love his appearing. If you want to finish strong, you got to be sober-minded. you got to endure suffering. you got to do your job. And you've got to love Christ's appearing. We're in the Advent season, and I appreciate what Dustin said about in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And sometimes we think we're looking back at his coming, and that's true. But never forget, we are also looking forward, because he's coming again. We don't know when, but Paul says it won't overtake you like a thief in the night. We will see the signs, there will be indications that the time is coming, and, and yet we don't know the day or the hour. Jesus says no one does. What's important is not that we figure it all out and become sort of weirdly, uh, like conspiratorially obsessed. That's not the point. The point is that we love the idea that one day we will be with Jesus. We love the idea that one day the sky will split and Christ will return, the Prince of Peace, to establish his kingdom, a kingdom not of this earth, but a kingdom that comes from heaven with the King himself. And so Paul says, Timothy, if you want to finish well, you've got to get your eyes off yourself. And off of what other peoples are doing. And you've got to focus on the word and on the Savior and the fact that he will advent again. He will come again. He says, love his appearing. In verse 5, he says, fulfill your ministry. That, that is, keep your eye on the finish line. You know, in, in, if, you're in, if you're into investing and some investments are for short-term gain and some investments are long-term investments, And Paul is saying, your following Christ is a long-term investment. The market line of your life with Christ might go up and down, but you have a long-term vision for finishing well and the day in which you will stand before Jesus, the judge of the living and the dead. And so this creates in us as Christians resiliency. We don't come to church on Sunday and go, I'm going to follow Jesus. And then we wake up Monday and something's gone wrong and we go, I'm done with Jesus. That's a short-term perspective. We have a long-term perspective. To put it another way, we're playing the long game. And what is it about his appearance? Look at verse eight. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord the righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only me also, but all who have loved his appearing. Think about this for a moment. On the day when we all stand before Jesus, you will get the same crown Paul gets. You will get the same award that Paul gets. Paul says, I'm going to receive this crown. He'll award it to me, but not only me, but all who have loved his appearing. So if we trust in Jesus and if we look to Jesus, there is in the future a reward for our obedience. And that's important because sometimes in life you feel like, is this doing any good? Is my faithfulness doing any good? Is my witness doing any good? And then you fall into sin and you go, well, I've blown it. Now it's lost. And Paul says, it's not lost. Confess, repent, follow Jesus, and live your life for the day when he will return. And so in order to run well, Timothy needed, as we need, to love Jesus and his appearing. The crown goes to those who love his appearing. So what's our confidence? Let me close by looking at verse 18. Paul puts it this way. He said, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. So that's important for two reasons. Number one, your ability to stand before Jesus on the day of judgment will not be based on your works. It will be based on the righteousness of Christ. Salvation will not be a gift you receive because because God looks at you and thinks you've done enough. It will be a gift that God has bestowed upon you because of the faithfulness and righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. So never trust in your works. Always look to and trust in Jesus. But second, notice what he says in verse 18. He says, God will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Look, what's Paul? He's in prison. How's Paul's life going? He's being poured out as a drink offering. Paul is about to die For Paul, this earth was not a safe place. And for you, this life will not be a safe place. And we want as much safety as possible, but if you make an idol out of your earthly comfort, your earthly ease, your earthly safety, you'll be disappointed, but God never promised you that. But God does promise you that there is a time where you will be safe. There is a time when suffering will end, But it's not here, it's in the life to come. It's when we are in the presence of Jesus, when there is a new heaven and a new earth. And Paul says, the Lord will rescue you from evil and bring you safely into his heavenly kingdom. So if you're enduring hardship, it won't always be this way. If you're enduring suffering, you won't always have to endure suffering. If you endure betrayal and abandonment, those days are coming to an end. Human history is pointed towards a great day of Jesus' appearing. And Paul says, if you want to finish well, live for that day, be sober, endure hardships, do your job, and love his appearing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you in gratitude because you have captured our hearts and you have saved us. We pray, Lord, that as we take time now to celebrate the Lord's Supper that we would even right now as we prepare to enter into that time quietly confess the sins in our own hearts. Lord, we confess that we have not done what you've commanded us to do and we've done things you commanded us not to do. And Lord, if, 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 if it were left to us, we could never change our stripes, never our spots. We could never wash our filthy rags clean but we are freed by the blood of your Son. We are cleansed by the blood of your Son. And so God, right now, as we confess our sins, would you flood our hearts with the reminders of your forgiveness? I pray if there's anyone tripped up in a particularly ensnaring sin, that you would bring them under conviction, but you wouldn't leave them feeling crushed, that you would infuse them with the encouragement that by your Spirit, we can walk in obedience. So I pray, God, that you would use this time to strengthen our faith and our resolve to follow Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.